0: I'm going to do my best today to convince you guys of the greatness and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That everything you do, everything you're going through right now, everything you're about, everything you're worried about, everything you're stumbling over, everything you're struggling with right now would be brought into submission and brought into reality in the presence and the reality of Jesus Christ. Every single thing you're dealing with And as we study this story year in and year out, man, it's the same text. You either got to preach out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. That's your text right there. Last year, we were out of Mark. The year before, we had of John. Then we were out of Luke. Today, we're going to be in Luke 23. You can turn there on your Bibles right now if you have one. We'll have the scriptures on the screen behind us as well. And as we get into Luke 23, we're going to see the historical events of the man Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the most important person in the entire world. You got to settle this right now. Not just historically, not just in a textbook, not just once and done for your life. Every single day for the rest of your life, Jesus Christ will change everything. Right now, we're all looking for videos to underscore our philosophy and to underscore our narrative and to convince ourselves that we're making the right decisions. The one decision you need to make every single day is that the kingdom of God is on his way. Did you know that the beginning of the universe that we now know and exist was created by Jesus Christ? John chapter 1, Jesus says, John says that nothing was made that wasn't made by him. Jesus made it all. There's all kinds of philosophy about where the world came from and what's going on. If you realize that Jesus made it all, he's the history beginner. And then Revelation chapter twenty two twenty, 20, Jesus declares, I am coming. Starts with Q, rhymes with equally. Quickly! Quickly! Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. Not only did Jesus start everything, Jesus is going to end everything. So if he's the beginning and the end, it would make the most sense that every single day we would order ourselves not just about the Gonzaga UCLA game, but about Jesus Christ and his supremacy. Everything is about Jesus. The two biggest holidays in the entire world are about Jesus Christ his birthday, Christmas, and his resurrection day, Easter. Globally, the most important days in the universe are Jesus Christ's birthday and his resurrection day. Did you know that the very dating system we have in the world stems on the birth and death of Jesus Christ? They've tried to change this over the years. BC stands for what? Before, before Christ. It's the before Christ era. Then Christ was born in the days of Herod, and they changed the whole dating system. And then they put the initials AD, Anno Domini, Latin. In the year of, listen, the Lord. Not our Lord. The Lord. The Lord, B, C, A, D, it's all about Jesus Christ. Everything stems from him. Everything stems to him. Everything stems by him. He changes everything. And I want you guys to be excited about that. Now, here's the deal. Jesus actually said very pointedly that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Peter very pointedly said in the book of Acts that there is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved than the name Jesus Christ. Now, you guys know Peter was asked a question. He was in trouble, he was in chains. They're like, hey, Peter, who did you do this miracle by? What's power? And they were giving him opportunity to give a different answer, maybe even a generic answer. It was my higher power. It was God, it was whatever. And he said, no, no, Jesus Christ. There is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. Now, as I say this, it's important for you who are believers twofold to understand this. Number one, it will radically change your life, but it will also additionally radically impact the people around you when they see you living for Jesus Christ and his supremacy. How many guys need your life changed? Just a little bit today. Like you're just not quite, anybody, let me ask a different question. How many you guys are perfect? Just, you don't need any help at all right now. You're doing just fine. Okay, nobody raised their hand. Even if you did, we don't believe you. And the people around you, They need to understand who Jesus is through you, who are believers here. As a matter of fact, I was looking on the internet yesterday. There was a famous interview by John Lennon. And John Lennon was being interviewed, and Paul McCartney was there from from the Beatles. And it came up that saying that John Lennon quoted, that the Beatles are so big, they're actually bigger than Jesus Christ. Remember that? Now, I dug into the article just a little bit in the interview. And what really happened was is John Lennon was talking and he was being interviewed about the Beatles and their success. And he said, you know what I heard? I heard someone say that the Beatles are bigger than Jesus Christ. And then he went on to say, you know, I don't, I don't know if I believe that, that we're more important or or more strong. He actually went on to kind of push it down and say, that's, that's not true. And it was twisted in the media. Can you imagine the media twisting something? That's crazy. Uh It's just crazy. I can't imagine it. And anyway, and they twisted it, and Paul McCartney later was interviewed and said when John Lennon said that, and the interview got kind of taken out of context, that John Lennon was visibly nervous and scared at the reality that the Beatles were being compared to the lit- largeness and the bigness of Jesus Christ. Now, the Beatles were a pretty big deal for, for a minute. Now, now they're not. Some of you are thinking, why is he talking about insects at church, you know? What's up, beta? you know, right? Well, maybe, I mean, they, it, Jesus Christ, though, continues, okay, to grow in infamacy, notoriety, importance, and in strength and in dominance. And the prophecies that we're gonna look at this morning And the reality of his coming kingdom, you guys got to understand, his coming kingdom, his coming kingdom, his coming kingdom, his kingdom is coming. He's on the way. It's going to happen. Everything he said he would do, he has done. There are still some things left to do that he said he will do, and he will do them. And it's up to you and I to live our lives with that expectant hope of his return. It'll change everything about the way you approach this pandemic and move forward, the way you have to make sacrifices and put a mask on and do what you gotta do to get through because the kingdom of Jesus Christ is real and he's on his way. He has proven himself already. and We get to make that decision every single day. The two biggest decisions you'll make in your entire life, number one, who you'll worship, number two, who you'll marry, I was actually listening to the 2015 Easter message here at South Beach Church, just because I forgot what I would said. And as I was listening to it, all of a sudden at one point I said, you know we're gonna do? Something special here at this service. Jonah, would you start the music? We had the citizens and saints here and the music, and we did a wedding there at the 6 p.m. service, kind of a spontaneous wedding. So if you haven't been married yet, you wanna get married today, let me know. We'll do that right after the baptisms. (sighs) That might be a prophetical word for somebody. Pray about it, pray about it. Guys, I'm gonna do my best today to convince you of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. There are 66 books that make up the entirety of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. In the first set of books, the Old Testament all point to Jesus Christ. Every single one of them points to Jesus. Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, it's all about Jesus. Isaiah, Daniel, Moses, Joshua, they all point to Jesus. And then all of the New Testament writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and James and Jude and, and Peter, and all the writers of the New Testament, they all point back to Jesus. Jesus had died and risen, and they started writing the New Testament. Everybody's pointing to Jesus Christ. Matthew, first writer of the New Testament. What are you gonna write about, Matthew? Uh, I'm just gonna write about Jesus. All right, cool, man. That's gonna be great. Hey Mark, it's your turn. What are you gonna write about? Matthew stole my subject. I'm gonna write about Jesus too. And he writes about Jesus too. Like, okay, where do, you got, where do you got that book? But that's okay, that's okay. All right, Luke, Luke, you're a doctor. You're super smart, man. This is your big day. What are you gonna write about? I'm gonna write an orderly account about Jesus Christ. John shows up, the last writer of the gospels. There's already three books of the New Testament pen and he spends the entirety of his gospel, of his writing about Jesus Christ. It is all about him. And then Acts and Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philemon, Philippians, all about Jesus Christ. Christ. And I want you guys, like our little Sunday school voices upstairs, are getting excited about Jesus. The platform is set. The backdrop is perfect for you and I, for the church of Jesus Christ, for believers to stand tall in the midst of chaos all around us, to have an answer, to have hope, to have a reason for the way that we live our lives. It's Jesus Christ. And I just wanna challenge you before we get into a few verses here, and then I'm gonna get in the water and baptize people. I'm, I'm, the only difference between you and I right now is you're sitting, I'm standing, okay? We're all in this together. Every single day I have to make a decision to focus on the kingdom of God, to his reality, and to what I'm gonna do about his coming kingdom. It changes the way I husband, it changes the way I parent, it changes the way I live with my neighbors, it changes the way I live in this community. It changes everything. Jesus Christ changes everything. And we're all gonna leave here today and we have that decision to make that opportunity to take Jesus with us and to be different men, different women in this community. And this community needs different men and women who have a different narrative, a different hope, a different heartbeat and a different vision than what the world is producing right now. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes and I'm gonna read to us out of Luke chapter 23. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for your word. It has been proven. Lord, I thank you for your spirit, which is here. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name now you would illuminate our hearts and minds. You would regenerate our souls. You would forgive our sins. You would order our steps, Lord, and you would knit us together. Do all these things by your word, Lord, and your spirit. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. And Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Go to Luke 23, verse 44. It says, now it was about the sixth hour. This is Good Friday. And there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. That's 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stop right there. Eyes up here. This is recording the events of Jesus Christ and his death and his crucifixion on that Good Friday 2,000 years ago. And there are eyewitnesses. I don't know about you, but I'm always looking for evidence. Like, can you prove that? I get people sending me emails all day long, sending me videos all day long. And what you got to ask for is, is that provable? Do you have any evidence for that? Can you actually prove to me that the world is flat? Can you actually prove to, you know, if you want to know, can you prove that it's this? Can you prove that global warming's work? Can you prove it? if you prove it to me, then I'm just a dummy if I don't believe. And here, this eyewitness, these guys and gals are there. And the details are recorded. Is it normal or abnormal for it to go completely dark from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m., for the earth to quake, for the graves to open up, and for a veil in the temple to be torn into two? Is that normal or abnormal? abnormal? That's abnormal! This isn't just a normal crucifixion. This is a supernatural event. 2,000 years ago, graves opened, veils torn, skies dark, and earth quaking. I say that because if you're gonna put your faith and hope in anything better have some evidence that's worth your life being lived for. And here, the evidence is given to us. Matthew 27 actually tells us that when the veil was torn, that it was torn from top to bottom. You who are Bible students, you know what that veil signifies. That veil was there inside the Holy of Holies, and it would separate people, all people except the high priest once per year, from the mercy seat, from where the presence of God actually dwelt. And you could not go behind that veil. Nobody was allowed except the holiest guy ever. And even he, if he had a bad day the day before, he would die on the other side because his sin would kill him. And when Jesus died, listen, that veil that kept everyone out, it was torn, ripped in half from top to bottom, signifying that what Jesus Christ did, the most important man in the history of the universe, what he did now opens up heaven from top to bottom. It's not about your works or my works. So many religions say that if you work harder, you'll get closer to God. Jesus Christ in Christianity says, I'm gonna send my son down so I can get closer to you. This is imperative that you understand this because if you've been working hard and failing, you've been working hard and stumbling, you've been working hard and coming up short, you've been working hard and blowing it, okay, join the camp, I'm the president. And the good news is it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about Jesus Christ. And when he cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, he was quoting out of Psalm 31. Psalm 31. Jesus is in full control. He said seven things while he was on the cross. Dying for your sins, dying for my sins, in full control. Quoting scripture, fulfilling prophecy, Jesus fully in command. And in verse 47, it says, so when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Now, the centurion's a Roman guy. He's a Roman tough guy. He's a soldier. He's been around the block. Man, this is not a wuss. Okay, this is a man's man. And he's standing there watching Jesus bleed out, watching Jesus die. And Matthew 27 tells us that he didn't just say this was a righteous man. Matthew 27, this centurion says, behold, this was the son of God. This is him! This is him! And this centurion, we don't know his history moving forward, but we know that his statements were recorded and his life was changed. Again, there's some smart people here this morning, smart people watching at home that make smart decisions. They just prove it to me. I'm not gonna make a dumb decision. I'm not a dummy. And this guy goes on record and tells us, eyewitness... I was there, it was crazy. I'll tell you one thing, that was the son of God. That was the son of God, I've seen a lot of people die. Nothing like this one. Sky darkening, earth quaking, veil tearing. This is a righteous man. Verse 48 and 49, it says, and the whole crowd who came together to see the sight that had been done, they beat their breasts and they returned. But all his acquaintances and the woman who followed him from Galilee, they stood at a distance watching these things. The gals are watching. Everyone's freaking out. They know this is a horrible day. They made a huge mistake. Verse 50. Now, behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man, and he had not consented to their decision and their deed. He was from Arimathea a city of the Jews who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down from the tomb and it was hewn out of rock where no one had ever been laid before. Stop right there, eyes up here. You guys know this guy, Joseph of Arimathea. It says that he's watching. He didn't vote for Jesus to die. He's on the council. He actually voted against this. He said, why are we doing this? And he was not supporting his death. And so when Jesus finally died, he stepped forward and said, you know what? This is ridiculous. I can't believe you guys did this can't believe it. And he went to Pilate. and he said, hey, Pilate, can I take care of his dead body? Pilate's a Roman governor. He doesn't care about anything. And so he allows Joseph to do this. Joseph takes him down, wraps him up with Nicodemus, his buddy, and they put him in a brand new borrowed tomb, a rich man's tomb. It was Joseph's tomb. I say all that to say this, Before this event, before the death of Jesus on the cross, they didn't know he was about to rise from the dead, but before the death of Jesus Christ, the suffering and the crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, listen, they were both secret disciples, secret saints. They were believers in the shadows, believers in the distance, believers behind the scenes, but they hadn't yet gone public. You ever done that before? You ever taken your Jesus' real sweatshirt and turned it inside out? You know what I mean? Maybe you wear a cross just as a symbol. You know, maybe you ever tuck your cross in your shirt. Just I don't know. I'm at the party right now. I don't want anybody to think I'm a Bible thumper. You know what changed Joseph of Arimathea? Listen. You know what made him bold? You know what made him come alive? You know what made him live his faith out? Seeing Jesus suffer. Seeing the love of God demonstrated on a cross for him. This is why we take communion almost every single Sunday at South Beach Church. We take communion we remember what Jesus did for us. We consider his death, his love, his service to us, and it gives you boldness then, and it gives you a reason to let your light so shine before men. Now, let me just, Bible students, pay attention you who are out there trying to become Bible students, listen too. It says that Joseph took him down, wrapped him up, and put him in a tomb. No big deal, right? Did you know that the Bible prophesied that Jesus would be put in a borrowed tomb, a rich man's tomb? Years earlier, Zechariah told us that. Let me just piece this together. What if Joseph of Arimathea was still playing his cards close to his chest? What if Joseph of Arimathea, a good man, a righteous man, decided not to be a bold man? What if he just decided to be a baby? What if he decided to be a wuss hanging off the side side? saying, I do believe in Jesus, but I'm gonna say it real quiet. What if he didn't do, what would have happened to Jesus's body? A Roman crucifixion on Good Friday, right before the high holy day of Passover. I don't think it would have been good. Jesus was treated as a common criminal. He wouldn't have been wrapped up and put in a rich man's borrowed tomb. I say that to say this, God has good works that only you can do, that have been preordained for you to walk in, and if you and I decide not to fly the flag of our faith at the top of the pole, if we miss those opportunities, what does that mean for what God has declared to do with our lives? Had Joseph just not been there? Don't take this haphazardly. As a matter of fact, here's 28 different prophecies were fulfilled just in this day alone. I'm going to rip through these quickly. And know you can't have this copy when I'm done. I need it for the next two services. Number one, the serpent would be bruised by the seed of the woman. Number two, Messiah would be cut off, but not for himself. Daniel told us that. The betrayal of Jesus by Judas was foretold by David. Jesus Christ would be forsaken by his disciples. That was prophesied by Zechariah. The price of his betrayal was also foretold by Zechariah. Zechariah also foretold what would be done on the betray- with the betrayal money. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus Christ would be sacrificed as the Passover lamb of God. Isaiah prophesied the scourging and mocking that he would suffer. Both Isaiah and David prophesied that Jesus' body would be mutilated. David prophesied the shame and dishonor that Jesus would suffer being condemned as a criminal. David also foretold that false witnesses would testify against Christ. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would not make an effort to defend himself at the trial. Isaiah also foretold Jesus Christ's crucifixion as the sin offering of the world. Isaiah also prophesied that he'd be numbered against with lawbreakers. David prophesied that his hands and his feet would be pierced. The parting of his garments was also prophesied by David. In another Psalm, David prophesied that he would be given vinegar to drink. David also prophesied that many would be watching during the crucifixion. Among those watching would be Jesus' family and friends who would stand at a distance. Some of his observers would shake their heads at him. That was prophesied. Even the words of his reproachers were prophesied by David. David prophesied the thoughts of Jesus at the height of his suffering. David prophesied that Jesus would commit his spirit to God. He also prophesied Jesus' last words, it is finished in one of the Psalms. No bone of the Passover lamb was to be broken. That was prophesied. Jesus' bones were intact. His burial in the tomb of a rich man was foretold by Isaiah, not Zechariah. Let me just tell you what prophecy is about. Prophecies glorify God and show that he's in control. Prophecies guide our steps in telling us what to do. Prophecies give us hope for hopelessness. And number four, prophecies complete the picture of God's timing and his plan. Joseph of Arimathea, just a normal guy. (laughs) Do you consider yourself a normal person from time to time? Man, I'm so normal. I'm like actually subnormal, you know what I mean? Like there's nothing special going on here. Just a normal guy. And yet God has preordained for you and I to walk by faith, to do the things that he's called us to do. Let's keep reading the story. It says, then the day was, that day was the preparation, verse 54, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after and they observed the tomb and how the body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. These ladies are watching from afar. Ladies didn't have a lot of value in that culture. They didn't have a lot of rights. They didn't have a lot of authority, so they'd have to play behind the scenes. And they're watching where Joseph put Jesus, and they're watching how it all went down. They're also watching the clock. Notice the timing of it. You who are Bible students, please listen. Don't you think the timing of the crucifixion of Jesus is incredible? It was right during the Passover celebration, one of the highest holy days of the Jewish people, where they would celebrate the deliverance from Egypt. And yet when Jesus died, it was just hours before sundown. And as soon as sundown Friday night hit, boom, the Sabbath became a reality. And on the Sabbath, what did they have to do? Starts with R, rhymes with S. Rest, thank you. They had to rest. They couldn't do anything else. Now, the Sabbath is not a bummer. It's a blessing. The Sabbath was intended to be an opportunity for them to sit with each other, hang out, do nothing, and just enjoy the fruits of their labor, do nothing. The Sabbath was not a burden. It was a blessing. And yet, listen to the timing here. Jesus dies. He's buried. And immediately, oh, we can't do anything now. We have to rest. How many of you guys hate resting? How many of you guys hate naps? <laughs> kids, all the kids. Oh, I hate them. You know, once you become old like me, naps are amazing. They're like the best thing you can do in life because it's like you're dead. It's awesome, you know. Am I right or am I right, man? You're, you're just... Nat, rest, it's the best, and listen, Jesus, on purpose, the timing is amazing, he dies, it is finished, oh, we only have a couple hours before we have to what, rest, here's the application, Christian, how many of you guys right now aren't resting in your spirits, there's no joy, there's no peace, there's only strife, there's only fear, there's only anger, chaos, and rage, and mad about everything, and upset, and distraught, it's the exact opposite of what Jesus came to do and accomplish. He died so you and I could rest, so we could have total peace in everything we're going through right now. The timing was on purpose. They couldn't continue to work, they had to rest. So, too, because of Jesus Christ, you and I can enter into that rest now. I'm going to take this seriously, by the way. I'm taking a nap today. I don't know about you guys. And yet, tomorrow and the days after, am I going to be able to rest? Trust the Lord. Just trust him well oh, there's stuff to do luke there's things going on man we got to fight there's got things i uh, got you know on oh, here take it to the lord these girls prepared their spices they waited to the next day these are the original spice girls by the way i don't know if you guys know that whatever verse 1 of chapter 24 says now on the very first day of the week very early in the morning they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb stop right there i these ladies wake up the next day they're on the way to the tomb the gospel of mark tells us that while they're walking mary's like wait a minute did anybody bring a crowbar who's got the slim jim how are we going to get this, this stone roll they, they begin to talk about the problem in front of them when they get there the stone has been rolled away miraculously Not so Jesus could get out, you guys know that, right? The stone was rolled away so they could get in. When you begin to walk forward in the things of God, he will remove the obstacles that keep you out of interacting with him and walking in fellowship with him. Listen, when you begin to walk with the Lord. What if they would've stayed home that Sunday morning? Like the dudes. You know who didn't go to the tomb early that morning? The dudes. You know who wasn't getting up early to seek the Lord? The dudes. The guys were hanging back, and yet the gals, the, the wives, the moms, they were the first ones. Did you know that the moms, the wives, the gals, they were the last ones at the cross and the first ones at the tomb? It's pretty rad. Now, that doesn't mean it has to be gender-specific for us today. Anybody can do that. The last person at the cross will be the first person at the tomb. How do we go to the cross? Communion, meditation, considering what Jesus did for us. When you spend time with Jesus and handle the bread and you handle the cup and you realize what he's done for you, when the next morning rises up, you know what you're gonna wanna do? Get in the book. You're gonna wanna get in his presence. You're gonna wanna seek him. And let me just give you a little tip out there. If you don't wanna seek the Lord right now, you don't wanna live for him, you don't wanna read the Bible, you don't wanna go to church, you don't wanna worship, you don't wanna, you're just not concerned. You don't even know why. You're not a bad person. You're not a bad person. But you're not concerned with the things of God. They don't draw you early on the very first day of the week, I guarantee you it's directly associated with your understanding of Jesus' death and suffering for you. He died for you. He bled for you. His eye was pierced open through blood and bruising to look upon you and to take your sins upon his body. And when you understand that, you will gladly put your phone away and grab your Bible out and you will seek him, whether it be a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, early. And can I just exhort you and encourage you? Seek the Lord early, early, early in everything, early in your marriage, early in your fight, early in your job, early in your sickness, early in your battle, seek the Lord. These girls did that. And what I would summarize this as objectively, you know what they did? They did the next right thing. Oftentimes I get people in my office that are going through traumatic situations, real big setbacks, huge life failures, things have ended, divorce, disease, death. Now what do I do, Pastor Luke? And I usually summarize it this way. Just do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. And then what? Well, then just do the next right thing after that. Just do the next right. We get so big, and we'll just do the next right thing. And if you do do the next right thing, guess what God will do? He'll do what you can't do. He'll remove the stone. Not only was the stone removed, but read with me. We've got to get to the end here so we can baptize some people. And it says in verse 3, Then they went in, and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Oh, they walk in, the stone's gone. Hey, cool, the stone's gone. Let's go embalm Jesus the rest of the way. They go in, and Jesus is gone. <laughs> verse 4. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, these angels, these two guys, why do you seek the living among the dead? Stop, right their eyes up here, some observations. These girls do the next right thing. The stone is rolled away, the barrier that's keeping them back. Maybe you have a barrier in your life right now. I just can't seem to break through. I just can't seem to break through. Do the next right thing and get excited about it. What is it? Maybe it's breaking up with that person. Maybe it's marrying that person. Maybe it's taking that job. Maybe it's quitting that job. Maybe it's taking serious the things of God. What is the next right thing for you? And the barriers were still to be removed. But guess what's gonna happen once a barrier gets removed? More questions. Oh, cool, the stone's gone. He's not in here. Where's Jesus? And they begin to be perplexed. It's so cool. They're perplexed. And two angels show up. I love meeting with people that have good questions. You know who makes the best students? It's people who wanna learn. You ever tried to teach somebody that doesn't wanna learn? (laughs) Good luck. But if a student, somebody wants to know how to do something, hey, what's going on, what's going on here? They're open and prime for the truth. These ladies are perplexed, they're looking around, and then the angels show up with illumination. I'll just make it simply that when you obey light, light will be given. That when you ask questions, God will give you answers. If you seek him, you will find him. If you knock, it'll be opened. If you ask, you will receive. These angels show up and they begin to be kind of snarky. I like these angels, man. Anytime you read the Bible and you see some sarcasm, it just makes me so happy. These, I don't know how you read the Bible, but you gotta look for the sarcasm, man. It's fun. These angels show up and they say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? It's like they're, conf- did you know that the Bible actually says angels are tripping out about you and me? They're looking at your life and they're just shaking their head constantly. They're like, what are these guys? What is this guy doing? Have you seen this? This guy is a are you kidding me? And everyone's the angels are peering into the things. And here they show up and they're just gonna ask Mary and the gals some questions. Why are you guys here? Good question, by the way. Why do we go looking for things that bring life in areas where it's only brought death? Maybe ponder that question this week. You ever look for life in things that have only brought death? Don't do it. The angels are looking at you and me when we go back to those stupid things, those silly behaviors, and the angels are like, hey, hey, Luke's doing it again. Angels, check this out, it's gonna be a train wreck. Look at Loki's he's doing it again, you know. What's he doing? And then the angels don't stop there. The angels are so cool, man. Verse 6: He's not here, but he's risen. They declare this truth. And then the angels ask him another sarcastic question. Don't you remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again? Stop right there, eyes up here. Just this these angels are giving a Bible study now. These ladies are there, they're they're there. I mean, give them a gold star. But they're perplexed, like, what is Jesus? Ah! and the angels are like, you, you really don't know? You literally thought he was gonna be here, like TKO'd, all wrapped up, all bloody still? What? Don't you remember? And then he quotes the red letters. These angels, don't you remember the Bible? He said he was risen from the dead, and it says in verse 8, Oh, do. Have you ever found yourself as a Christian with a do moment? where you just forget what's going on. I mean, every, this is like every day at my house, every day. Psalm 73 says the psalmist was so perplexed over the world issues, everything was going crazy. OSB was $56 a shit, he couldn't handle it, he was freaking out. And then he remembered what was really going on. This is why Bible study is so imperative, people. This is why reading the scriptures at home is so important. This is why listening to sermons is so valuable because you're gonna forget you're going to forget Jesus lived with these gals, told them what was going to happen, right over their head. It's a good word for some of us here. You forgot, you just forgot. You just forgot. And when you forget, look at verse eight, and they remembered his words, and then they returned from the tomb, and they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Stop right there, eyes up here. In closing, think with me. These gals went there with spices, oh, teared, <shrugged> snot, slobbering, all bummed out Sunday morning, worst day ever. And the angels met them, and miracles were there. Stones were rolled away. Bible verses were quoted and immediately the direction of their lives changed. You think they ran? These this spices would have been 30, 40, 50 pounds in weight. This wasn't a little bit of spice. It was a lot of weight. You think when they ran back to tell the others they carried the spice with them, I don't think so. They left it there. They didn't need the burial spices anymore because Jesus Christ wasn't dead. When you understand, when we understand the kingdom of heaven the common reality of Jesus Christ. It will change your life, change your trajectory, change your past, change your present, change your future. Each and every one of us here have a past. We have a present and we have a future and we need Jesus Christ, the most famous man, the most important man, the most talked about man, the most argued about man, the most studied about man, the most sung about man, the most written about man, the most important man in the world. We need Jesus Christ to change all of those realities in our lives and that is what Jesus Christ does. These ladies went back and they told the men, The Bible says when the men heard them, the men thought that they were speaking nonsense. Wives, does that ring a bell at your house? The men didn't believe. The men are like, blah, 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 blah. That's what it says. But Peter, Peter hearing this, said, wait, wait, did you say, you said, what? What? You're making stuff up. The stone can't be rolled away. The body can't be gone. The angels couldn't have been there unless, unless the stone was rolled away, unless the body's not there, unless the angels were. And Peter, you guys know Peter, big, big Peter. He gets up and he runs to the tomb. The Bible tells us in more than one place that Jesus actually met him on that day privately. The angel actually told the ladies that day, go tell the disciples and Peter. Peter needs it more than most. Peter's been not doing so good. Peter's had some low days. Peter needs to know that my love for him is secure. I'm going to have the van come back up and we're going to worship the Lord and we're going to watch the people get baptized now. I want you guys to understand something. You know what Jesus did next? The Bible says that Jesus joined the 11 disciples that night and he looked at them like this. And when he looked at him, you know what the Bible said? The Bible said that he rebuked him. Guess what he rebuked him for, though? This is so important. He didn't rebuke him for betraying him. They all betrayed him the day before. He didn't rebuke Peter for denying him. Peter's lowest day, denying him. Oh, they were deserted. He deserted in the garden. He was left alone. You know, he didn't rebuke him for deserting him. There's one thing that Jesus rebuked the disciples for. Listen. We're not believing. You guys didn't believe? And I'm just going to humble myself before you guys. Because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. I've betrayed the Lord. I've denied the Lord. I've done foolish things in my life. And Jesus died for all of those sins. And the sin that Jesus brought out that day was, you just don't believe me. You're living a life that's not full of belief right now. It's unbelief. And you're, You're full of fear, and you're full of shame, and you're full of regret and guilt. And you know what's amazing, though? Jesus rebuked the disciples for not believing. And then immediately, he commissioned them to be disciples. Immediately, he said, you know what? I want you to go. Go where? Time out? No. Go where, go to jail? No. Go take a nap? No that's over. They immediately said, I want you to go and tell people. I want you to go teach people everything I've taught you, commanding them to walk with me and to be baptized in my name. And you might say to yourself, Well, didn't we just you know, look, we're such a mess, Jesus. I know. I know. We're not staying here though. We're moving on. The good news of Jesus Christ changes everything. And maybe you're a person here today that struggles with unbelief. You believe, but Lord help my unbelief, and you. Have a faith, but it's not active. You're not doing anything about it. And Jesus would say the same thing to you who are about to get baptized and you who are about to go out and live your lives to live your lives for the glory of God and the good of others. Why in the world are you sitting here? Go into all the world. All authority has been given to me, Jesus would say. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Wouldn't it be rad if the Lord came back today? I mean, anybody, anybody okay with that? Anytime in 2021, anytime, like, dude, it's time. And here's what we're gonna do now. We're gonna baptize people in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. We've got some plastic up here. I'm gonna put you down real gentle and bring you back up. and I'm not gonna try and splash everywhere. I'm gonna put my mask on just so we can stay safe. This might be your day to get baptized. This might be your day to get in the water. And say, dude, Jesus Christ is the most important person in the world. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And I'm gonna go on record today. While we're baptizing people, we're gonna be singing, we're gonna be recording, it's gonna be a party. Every time one of those believers goes under the water and comes back up, I want to hear you guys cheering. When you see somebody get baptized, you who are believers, and you see somebody get baptized in Jesus' name, let it warm your heart. Let it encourage you. Let it convict you. Let the tears flow. As you see these young believers and old believers and new believers recommitting their lives, believers, to Jesus Christ. I'm going to say a prayer now. Father, in Jesus' name, as we baptize people, would you be honored? We do this by faith. And if you're here right now and you're still making that decision, should I get in the water? Should I get baptized today? The Lord is for you. He has plans for your life. He wants to use you, and the first step is a step of doing the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. Give your heart and life to Jesus Christ and be baptized in his name, celebrating what he's done on the cross for you, living your life for him. Lord, for those who have already been baptized or won't get baptized today, would you anoint us to live our lives for your glory and for others' good? Would you make this Easter, Lord, a turning point, a time, Lord, where we look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. We pray all these prayers in Jesus' name. Everybody said